There ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. is crazy. It's the strangest part of life to get our minds around this understanding that everything dies, to get around the idea that everything that we love, everyone that we love, it all comes to an end. You come to an end. I come to an end. To, to get our minds around the idea that, that everything dies is, is really a tough thing in life, uh, that you die, that I die that everybody that we love and everything that we love will eventually come to an end. I remember, uh, gosh, I was probably in my early 30s and uh, I had just started this little church we call Metro and my cousin who was just 19 years old at the time, his name was Josh, we called him Joshy, uh, that he died. He was just 19 years old and it was like a slap in the face. It's, it was hard even to get my mind around how could somebody so young be gone. Um, I was a family pastor, and and of course they they called me down to uh, Tennessee. He lived in this small rural town in Tennessee, and it was so different culturally down there. You know, being from Detroit, it was just it was just a, a, a cultural difference. It was a shock almost. And and we go down there, and I remember being in the in the procession. You know, the in the lead car, I was the pastor, so I'm up front, and and. Uh, and all of these cars are behind us. And I remember going through this little town and the strangest thing happened. I, I was watching all of these people pull off the side of the road and, and they would get out of their cars, especially the men, they would get out of their cars and they would take their baseball hats off. I don't know what it was, but everybody in Tennessee seemed to wear a baseball hat. And, and they would take their hats off and put them over their heart as if they were paying their their respects. And, and I remember going through this one intersection in this tiny little town and there was a you know, a gas station on this corner and a gas station on this corner. And, and it was uh, shocking to me to see that almost everybody who was coming out of the store, going into the store or pumping gas, I literally saw them stop what they were doing and I guess you call it pay their respects. They, they, they paused and, and many of them bowed their heads and many of them put their hands over their hearts and, and they, were, they, they just paid their respects. And I remember thinking at that time that these people get it that they understood the value of life and the finality of death. They really did understand it. Well, in the scripture, there is this man named Ezekiel, and he is what we call a prophet. And I know anytime you hear the name prophet or somebody called a prophet, you just get these weird ideas of these strange, deranged individuals, right? Where they're just angry and screaming at people. But it, but it wasn't like that at all. The, these prophets, they would... 
they would see the world like God would see the world and they would hear from God and they would want the world to know about God and his goodness and his grace and and so they would speak with all the passion they, they could and they would often get these visions right they would see these things that God would want them to see and they would tell their stories about what they're seeing in the world and and so Ezekiel was one of these guys who gets this vision and his vision was crazy um, his vision was a vision of a valley of dry bones. Now, when, when, again, when you talk about visions, it's crazy enough, but when somebody starts to say that he sees this valley of dry bones, it gets really kind of weird. So let me give you a little backstory on Ezekiel. Ezekiel was just 25 years old when he was taken into slavery. You see, one of the things we learned about Ezekiel is that he came from this upper tier, this elite family in Judah or Israel. And at the time, historically speaking, there was this little empire being built called the Babylonian Empire. Perhaps you've heard of it. Well, one of the things that the Babylonians did was that they would come into a region and not only conquer the region, but they would decimate a region. They would come in and literally take thousands and thousands of people out of an area and move them into slavery. Well, we, we learned that the Israelites, that this happened to them, and this was Ezekiel's family. At around the age of 25, he was taken into slavery in Babylon. Now, at the time, Babylon was ruled by one of the most notorious emperors in all of human history, a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He was evil. He just was a brutal, brutal leader. And so at this point in, in Israel's history, they thought that they were done, that they were over. And so there was a brokenness among the people. There was a despair among the people. They thought they were just as good as dead. And God begins to speak to, to this man named Ezekiel. And Ezekiel begins to write what God is speaking to him. And this is around 575 BC, about 575 years before Christ. Ezekiel begins to hear from God and he gets this vision from God, this vision of dry bones, this valley of dry bones. And one of the things we learn about this vision is that, is that God was speaking to, to Ezekiel to say to the people of Israel and really to say to you and me that it's not over that there's always hope, that God brings dead things back to life. So Ezekiel begins to write about this crazy vision in his 37th chapter. But listen, don't just write this off for, for those people back then. Don't just write this off as some crazy Bible story because really this is the same for you and I. That you and I are often put in these seasons of life where it's dry, where it's broken, where, where it seems so hopeless, where it just seems like we're in this valley. Because uh, it says interesting that in his very first verse, he says that God moved Ezekiel by the Spirit into this valley. And friends, let me tell you something. God sometimes will do this. He will allow us to go through these valleys. He'll allow us to go into dark times. He'll allow us to go into some brokenness in life in order to show us something different, something better, something new. So the scripture says that Ezekiel was led into this valley of dry bones, a valley much like this.
So the very next verse, it says almost the same thing, that Ezekiel was deposited into this valley of dry bones. And, but it says something very odd. It says that, that the Spirit of God caused him to move or forced him to move in and out of these bones. And in your mind, you can picture that there is like ankle-deep bones. A guy is wading through death. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a, a funeral and you're sitting there trying to talk to somebody, but you're standing next to a corpse. You're standing next to somebody that you loved who was in a casket. It's just crazy, right? When you start to see this vision in your mind that Ezekiel is wading through these bones, but it comes to the end of this verse and it says, and these weren't just bones. They were very dry bones, which I think that was God's way of saying to Ezekiel that life looks awfully bad for you right now. Life looks like it could not get any worse for you right now. But let me tell you something. There is still hope. Even when you think that there is no hope, there is still hope for you. And so Ezekiel hears this from God. And then God speaks a very strange thing to Ezekiel. He says to Ezekiel, he says, do you think that these bones could live again? Now, I don't know, when God asks you a question like that, what do you say? It's like, God already knows the answer. Ezekiel clearly understood that God already knew what his answer was, but Ezekiel didn't want to say the wrong thing, right? I mean, if God asks you a question, you're like going, you already know. Is this a setup? Is this a trick? Then Ezekiel gives this incredibly wise answer to God. He gives a smart answer. He says, Sovereign Lord, only you know. In other words, how am I supposed to know? I'm not God. He's in the middle of this valley full of dead people, full of dry bones. And he's like, I don't know if they could live again. I don't know if they could breathe again. You're God. You're supposed to know. What an incredibly good answer. What an insightful answer. But let me tell you something. This is exactly where God wanted Ezekiel. He wanted Ezekiel to understand that he is not God, that we are not God, that to you and me, things can look hopeless. To you and me, things could look broken. To you and me, things could, could, could look lost and dead. But to God... This is where he performs his best work. This is where God does what only God can do and man cannot do. This is where God comes to the rescue. So God says to Ezekiel, the prophet, he says, I want you to do something. He says, prophesy and say to these dry bones. He says, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. Now, for me, Ezekiel, if I was the prophet, I'd be going, are you crazy? I mean, people already think I'm weird, but if I start preaching to dead bones, if I start prophesying to dead bones, they're going to think I have flipped a lid. But God says, oh, no, 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 no. You're going to tell these dead bones to come back to life. And so Ezekiel begins to speak. He begins to preach to these dry bones. And this is what he says. He says, I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Then you will know that I'm God. Then you will know that I can do what seems utterly hopeless in your life. And friends, this is for me and you as well because it seems like sometimes life is so broken that there is no hope, there is no way out. But God says, listen, if you let me breathe life into you, I can change what is wrong. I can change what is broken. I can bring back to life what is dead. And so Ezekiel listens to God. He obeys God's voice and he begins to preach to this valley of dead bones. He begins to say, breathe again, live again, come to life again. Not by his power, not by his strength, but by the strength of God at work in his words. 
And this is what it says next. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was this noise, this rattling sounds. The bones came together, bone to bone. I looked and the tendons and the flesh appeared on them and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. He, he says, he says, live. And all of a sudden, you can, you can just picture in your mind, the valley is coming to life. These bones are like, whoa, this bone is being connected to this bone because these bones have been laid out in the valley forever. And they were, and then the birds and the animals had picked away at them. And, and now all of a sudden, they're coming back together and God is rearranging them. He's putting all the brokenness back together. So Ezekiel is watching all this happen and he's freaked out, and, but he notices something. He, he, he records it, but there was no breath in them. So I don't know what he was looking at, but maybe all of these skeletons are no longer skeletons. Now they're like corpses. They're rebuilt bodies and, and all the flesh had come back together and God put it back together in order, and, and, but they don't have any breath. And so maybe they're all just sitting up like going, hey, what's going on? But there's no breath in them. In other words, there's no life. And, and, and that's a lot like people we know. And that's a lot like us. We are living and we are going through life. We are working. We are paying our bills. We are, we are raising our kids. But there's something that is dead inside of us. There's something that is broken inside of us. But God says that's not good enough just to have a body. He says there needs to be a soul that is alive. He needs to be, there needs to be something that is breathing inside of you with the heartbeat of God, with the breath of God. And, and so God speaks again to Ezekiel and says something else. So he says, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it. Now, hold on for a second. He, he drops in there this little phrase, son of man. In other words, he's putting Ezekiel in his place. He's putting you and me in our place. He's saying, you're just a son of man, but I am God and I am different than you and I can do what you cannot do for yourself. And so he says to this, to the breath, he says, prophesy to the breath and say to it. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come, breathe from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live. And so I prophesied and he, as he commanded me and breath entered them and they came to life and they stood upon their feet like a vast army. Do you, do you see the picture here? They, they, they were, they were, they, they had their bodies regrouped. They had their, their, their skin and their bones regrouped, but there was nothing inside of them. But God speaks a word and they come alive again. They come to life again. And now they're breathing and a vast army rises up all over the valley. And now he, uh, Ezekiel's looking and God says, I'm going to tell you why, uh, Ezekiel. I'm going to tell you why that this is so important. He says, you now go. Speak to the lands of Israel. Speak to the people of Israel. And you tell them this. Our bones are dried up and our hope has, is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to the people, this is what the sovereign Lord says to you. My people, I am going to bring open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live again and you will settle in the land that I promised you. In other words, God says, when you turn to me, I'm going to bring you back together again. Listen, friends, uh, the reason things die is because they're separated from God. The reason this picture was painted by Ezekiel was that 
was that they were dead because they had separated themselves from God. They, they were taken into slavery because they had been separated from God, that they, they cut their own soul off from God. And let me tell you something, friends, things die when we get separated from God and things die in your life and things die in my life when we get separated from God. Our marriages die, our families die. Our homes die. Our, our children, they, they begin to, to fall apart and they become something other than God's best. They become something other than God intended for them and what we intended for them. When we separate ourselves from God, things come unraveled in our life. And this is the point of the resurrection, isn't it? This is why we celebrate Easter. We don't celebrate Easter because of chocolate bunnies and Easter eggs and little girls in cute little dresses. I mean, all that's good and fine, but we celebrate Easter because there is a resurrected Christ. There's a resurrected Jesus. And this is an amazing thing. In the book of Matthew, it begins to speak about this where, where when Jesus was raised from the dead, there were many others who were also raised from the dead at the same time. And I get it, man. If you're out there and you're hearing these words, you're going, that's why I don't believe. When you start talking about dead people walking around that, I can't buy that. But let me tell you something. I want you to think about it differently. This is why we believe. It, it, it says that there were hundreds of eyewitnesses that saw these people come back to life. And these eyewitnesses were willing to die for this. They were willing to give up their life for this. And so this is the reason why Christianity even spread across the globe. Have you ever even thought, how did this little dead carpenter uh, literally change the world? An entire world comes around this thing called the Christian faith. It's because they saw a man die and then raise to life again. And let me tell you something. It's better to be resurrected than to never have died at all. And this is the story of Easter. Did you hear that? It is better to be resurrected than to never have died at all. Because when the world looks on and sees someone come back to life, it changes the game. And let me tell you something for you and me. There is all kinds of things that are dead in our life. And I don't know what's dead inside of you. I don't know what's broken inside of you. But if you're like me at all, you have all kinds of struggles. You have all kinds of disappointments. You have all kinds of regrets. You have all kinds of hurt. And they are, it's like there's something has to come alive inside of you. There has to be something different inside of you. There has to be something reborn. There needs to be your bones coming back together and your flesh coming back together and your spirit being breathed into by God. You see, when we come to God, we, we come alive. When you come to God, things start to change. When you come alive, God does in you what you cannot do for yourself. When, when, when you come to God, he breathes new life in you. He breathes new direction in you. He breathes new hope in you. And those change, those things that held you, those things that, that pull at you and that, that constantly are dragging you down, they begin to fall and, and you find this new sense of freedom. Let me tell you something. When you come to God, you, you leave the valley. You move forward. Something becomes different. And let me tell you something, friend. It is better to come One, alive. Two. I don't know if you know this. I don't know if this is even possible for some of you even to believe this because I think for some in this room, I get it, you're gonna go like, this is too far out there to believe. But, but do you know that dead things can come back to life? Do, do you realize this? And I don't know if you've ever seen this. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but let me tell you something. Things that are dead can come back to life. As a matter of fact, I would say that it is, it is better to be resurrected than to never have died in the first place. Uh, let, me, let me say that again because you may not catch this, but I want you to know this. I want you to feel this. I want you to understand this because I think it is better that sometimes that you die because things that are resurrected is oftentimes much better than to never have died in the first place. 
Now, I'm, I'm sensing in this crowd right here that you're not getting the good news that I'm trying to throw down at you. Because this is really good news to me. I mean, this is like big time good news because I don't know about you, but I look around our world and I'm not very smart, but I see a whole bunch of stuff that is dead, that needs to come back to life. I see a whole bunch of abuse. I see a whole bunch of hurt. I see a whole bunch of pain, a whole bunch of regret, a whole bunch of hopelessness, a whole bunch that has died inside of the human spirit. And it needs to come alive again. It needs to breathe again. Something has to change in the world. And let me tell you something, friends. Something doesn't just need to change in the world. Something has to change in our world, my world, your world. I heard uh, a crazy story just, just this last week. It, it blew my mind. Uh, it comes out of the Middle East and all the craziness that's going on over there. And, and I'm sure you've heard of ISIS and all the evil that is coming from the Muslim extremists. It's crazy stuff. But, but I heard about this little group of Christians that were, that were taken prisoners by ISIS. And, and they, they beat these men nearly to death. I mean, they brutalized these men. And then they threw them in, in a prison cell, one in each little tiny prison cell. But it was, it was like they left them there to die. But it was way worse than that. You know what they did? I couldn't believe this. They, they put a giant singular rat in each cell where a man was lying there dying. Because that rat, as he sensed the weakening man, he would move in and start to eat that man alive. And I thought to myself, who does this? Where, where does this come from in our world? How can one man treat another man like that? You ever think about the evil in our world? Where does it come from? Well, there is this three little letter word that we don't like very much. We don't like to talk about it. We definitely don't think it applies to us. But the Bible says that there's this thing called sin. And sin has this unbelievable power to destroy the human spirit. It has this ability to pull the humanity away from us. That this, this word called sin, it, it wounds us. It tears us apart. And it destroys the purposes of God inside of us. It destroys God's best inside of us. And we go, oh, but Jeremy, that's a little bit crazy because I'm not going to do that kind of crazy stuff. That stuff is bad. It does the same thing in you and me, doesn't it? I mean, doesn't it do the same thing inside of us? I know it does in me. It, 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 it wounds the soul. It tears apart what God has put together in my life. And it destroys the purposes of God inside of me. And it does the same thing inside of you. Sin has this unbelievable ability to destroy our marriages, to destroy our, our relationship with our, our children. It, it separates us from friendship and those people that we say that we love in this world. You know this to be true, don't you? This thing called sin, it grows inside of us and it begins to put a stranglehold on the hopes and the dreams that we once had 
And it begins to destroy our finances and it begins to tear apart our, our goals and our passions in life. And all of a sudden, what, it, what we end up with is it destroys the purposes of God inside of us and we become what we never wish we would become. And you know what it does? It grows these habits inside of us that separate us from the God who loves us. And it chains us. Listen to me. It chains us. Listen to me. It chains us to the worst part of who we are. It's the power of sin. Now, friends, listen. I don't know what has died inside of your life, but I know that every single person in this room has experienced death already. You don't need to die to experience death because you have something that has died inside of you a long, long time ago. And I don't know what the struggle is. I don't know the pain or the regrets or the disappointment that has brought you to where you are today. But let me tell you something, friends. I don't know if you've ever heard this in your whole life. Or maybe you just need to be reminded of this. Maybe you just need to hear this again. Let me be the one to tell you right now. That there is a God who is a good father who loves you, who knows your name, and wants you in right relationship with him. He loves you. And he doesn't want this power of sin to separate you from him. He doesn't want this power of sin to, to pull you away from all that he wants from, from your life. You know, the Bible, it talks a, a whole lot about this idea of, of the power of sin and where sin comes from. And this might shock you. But the real damages of sin, they, the, the real effects of sin, the real power of sin, it doesn't come from randomness out there. Even though there's bad things, real suffering happens in this world out there sometimes, and it, it is brutal and it's painful. But you wanna know what's most brutal and most painful? It comes from the choices we make. It comes from the choices other people make, right? I mean, some of the greatest wounds in our life is when somebody we love betrays us. Am I right? It's when, we, when we're supposed to feel secure with somebody, but they, they turn and, and they cut and they run on us. The real struggle of sin, the real regrets of life, they come from the things that we often choose and that we invite into our life, the things that, that we open our lives to and eventually they become a stranglehold in our life. Let me tell you something, friends, and the end result is always the same. It separates us from all that God wants. It separates us from what we, what we really want to become in, in this world. But, but let me tell you some good news. Y'all ready for some good news? Come on, you ready for some good news? Uh, even, though, even though sin has destroyed so much of our world, and you have to be blind not to see that, am I right? Am I right? Sin, there's no doubt there's, it has destroyed so much, but the good news is not only that it, uh, that, uh, that, that it has destroyed something out there, it has destroyed something in us, and, and we look back in our life, and there's a whole bunch of pain, a whole bunch of regret, a whole bunch of hurt, but the good news is that, that God provides a fix for it. God provides a way to mend that which is broken. God provides a way to bring back together that which was separated and torn apart. God provides a way to rebuild in our life. And friends, what God does is he destroys the power of death in our life. 
He, he's defeated the, the, the despair of life. He, just, he has defeated the shame of life. He has defeated the guilt of life. He has defeated what's back there in our life. And he says that you don't have to remain there. He says that you don't have to live there any longer. He says it can be different. And so I don't know if you know this, but because what Christ has done for us, he's defeated the power of sin in our lives. And that was the best news I think anybody could ever hear. Uh, and, and again, there might be like two of you, maybe three in this room that you got it all together and it has never affected you ever. But for the rest of us schmucks, this is really good news. This is really good news because he says it can be defeated in our life. And friends, he does this by dying as a substitute for our sins. Now, let me explain this because you do realize already that your sin needs paid for. You, you, you know this internally, right? I think you do. You, you realize that your sin, that evil in your own life, it needs paid for, it needs accounted for. Most certainly, I think everybody in this whole room would say, you know what? It would be unjust if that person who could throw another man into a, a prison cell dying and throw a rat in there to eat him alive, if that was to walk free in eternity, we would go, that's unjust. What kind of loving God would allow that to happen and go unpunished? And so I think inside of us, we know that sin has to be accounted for. And let me tell you something, friends, this is where it gets scary. It's not just the sin out there that needs accounted for. It's a sin in here. And every single one of us, the sin that separates you from God's best in your life, the sin that separates you from God himself, it needs to be accounted for. And, and, and are you ready for a little Easter story? This is Easter, my friends. Chocolate bunnies are cool. But Easter's way better. Easter's way better. Here, here's the story of Easter. The story of Easter is that, is that Jesus paid the price of death for us. He died the death that I was supposed to die. You see, because the Bible says that all of our sin, your sin, my sin, all of it, little and big, big and little, all of it, everything in between, all of it has to be accounted for. And Jesus says, or God says, that the end result of our sin every time is death. You see this in the world, right? Every time the end result is death. And here's what Jesus has done. He has died the death that we were supposed to die. He paid the price or the wage of death on our behalf because God looks at you and God looks at me and says, I don't want you to suffer like that. I want you to be in right relationship with me and you could never pay the bill. It's too costly. Your sin has separated you so far from God. And he says, it's too much for you to pay. And so God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And through his broken body on the cross, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin. And you ready for a little bit more Easter? Come on, you ready? Because not only did he die on the cross, I'm not sure, y'all ready for a little Easter? Are you really ready for a little Easter here? Because not only did he die on the cross, but that cross could not hold him. That cross, that death, 
It could not swallow him. It could not keep him down because the scripture records and many eyewitness that, that after on the third day, the dead <laughs> comes back to life. And Jesus rises from the dead. And Jesus rising from the dead is what frees us. Jesus rising from the dead, his resurrection assures our resurrection. His new life assures my new life. His new beginning assures my new beginning. His renewal assures your renewal. That's what the story of God is about. It's called the gospel. It's a gift to you. It's good news to you. And this is where some in the room go, oh man, Jay, I, I was right with you until you start talking about dead people coming back to life. Like that's where it gets weird. Yeah. Let me tell you something. Hold on, hold on. What do you think we are gathered here for? 2,000 years later. I want you to think about this. Why are people all over the planet, just like we're doing right now, gathered together in the name of Jesus? Is it because of some lie? Is it because of some like rumor that we heard? Like, hey, some guy raised from the dead. Let's get together and have church. Is it, is it because, because of something that's just been floated around and it might be true? No, no, no. The reason we are gathered together here today is because a whole bunch of people, just like we talked about in the little video there, a whole bunch of people lived life with this man named Jesus. And they saw him do the miracles and they saw him teach like no man had ever taught. They saw him love like no man had ever loved before. And then they saw this man arrested by Rome and eventually crucified on a cross, nailed to a cross. And they saw him put in this tomb and they were like, we're done, we're out, we're out of here, we give up, they win, Jesus loses, the story's over. But a few days later, all of a sudden, the door there's like this, I'm back. And let me tell you something, this is just something that I think, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm the odd guy out here, but when you see a dead man walking again, you are going like, whoa, I will follow that. When you see somebody who you know was dead, you're willing to do anything. And so these men and these women, they willingly gave up their lives because of what they saw, because of what they knew was true. And friends, that is why we sit here today celebrating a risen Savior. And let me tell you something, friends. Uh, yeah. You guys, uh, you and me, we, we can try all kinds of things in life to fill our soul. But there is only one pathway to a good father who loves you. It's through his son, Jesus. He restores us to God. He makes a way to be with God. And let me tell you something. You can sit in this room and you can come to a church like this or go anywhere and you can hear about this kind of stuff. And you can go, you know, that's a nice story. That's a cool deal. I think it's cool. I think it's good. I wish more people would live like that. But it means nothing to you unless you move toward God. You can come to Easter at Metro and you can go, oh, that's pretty good. But nothing changes in your soul unless you turn to God. And I mean, turn to him. There's another word that we hate as much as sin. It's this word called repentance. It's where you and I say, God, you're right, I'm wrong. 
God, I don't want to live like I'm living anymore. God, I'm not going in the right direction. God, I'm not becoming all that I'm supposed to become. God, I am sinful and I need your grace and I need your forgiveness. There's this thing called repentance out there. And we need to repent and turn toward him. That's when it starts. When you decide to move toward him in faith, come to him. Now, I just want to read you, uh, I want to read you a version of the Easter story. It explains what God has done for us. And, and it's written to a church like ours in, in an ancient city called Ephesus. And, and there were all these new believers and young believers trying to figure out this faith thing, right? They were trying to figure out, whoa, 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 we saw all this craziness from Jesus and, and now we really believe that he was who he said he was and we're trying to get together and get this thing right. And Paul, a guy named Paul was their pastor and he wrote a letter back to his little church and he writes these words to encourage them to remember what Christ has done for them. And this is what it says. Paul's writing this letter to this little church. And he says this, once you were dead. Oh, I'm not dead, I'm alive. No, 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 no. He's talking about what's in the soul. He said, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many, what's this word? sins. You used to live in sin, just like the whole rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. He says, all of us used to live that way. Don't forget where you've come from. He says, all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subjects of God's anger, just like everybody else was. But God, who is, who is rich in his what? What's this word? In his, in his mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when, when what? When he raised Christ from the dead, it's only by, by God's grace that you have been saved and for, for he was raised from the dead along with, with you in Christ. Listen, listen, the reason we're raised is because Christ was raised. And when he was raised, you and me, we have a chance to live again. We have a chance to start over. It's the greatest mulligan ever. It's the greatest do-over ever. And friends, listen, we come alive when we turn our hearts toward him. That's when the chains, listen, that's when the chains fall off in your life. 